The Aztecs allowed the aliens to march all the way to the capital, then respectfully led the aliens as leader to meet Emperor Montezuma. In the middle of the interview, Cortes gave a signal and steel-armed Spaniards butchered Montezuma's bodyguards who were armed only with wooden clubs and stone blades. The honored guest took his host prisoner. Cortes was now in a very delicate situation. He had captured the emperor, but was surrounded by tens of thousands of furious enemy warriors, millions of hostile civilians, and an entire continent about which he knew practically nothing. He had at his disposal only a few hundred Spaniards, and the closest Spanish reinforcements were in Cuba, were more than a thousand miles away. Cortes kept Montezuma captive in the palace, making it look as if the king remained free and in charge as if the Spanish ambassador were no more than a guest. The Aztec Empire was an extremely centralized polity, and this unprecedented situation paralyzed it. Montezuma continued to behave as if he ruled the empire, and the Aztec elite continued to obey him, which meant they obeyed Cortes. This situation lasted for several months, during which time Cortes interrogated Montezuma and his attendants, trained translators in a variety of local languages, and sent small Spanish expeditions in all directions to become familiar with the Aztec Empire and the various tribes, peoples, and cities that it ruled. The Aztec elite eventually revolted against Cortes and Montezuma, elected a new emperor, and drove the Spaniards from Tenochtitlan. However, by now, numerous cracks had appeared in the imperial edifice. Cortes used the knowledge he had gained to prize the cracks open wider and split the empire from within. He convinced many of the empire's subject peoples to join him against the ruling Aztec elite. The subject peoples miscalculated badly. They hated the Aztecs but knew nothing of Spain or the Caribbean genocide. They assumed that with Spanish help they could shake off the Aztec yoke. The idea that the Spanish would take over never occurred to them. They were sure that if Cortes and his few hundred henchmen caused any trouble, they could easily be overwhelmed. The rebellious peoples provided Cortes with an army of tens of thousands of local troops. And with its help, Cortes besieged Tenochtitlan and conquered the city. At this stage, more and more Spanish soldiers and settlers began arriving in Mexico, 
some from Cuba, others all the way from Spain. When the local peoples realized what was happening, it was too late. Within a century of the landing at Veracruz, the native population of the Americas had shrunk by about 90%, due mainly to unfamiliar diseases that reached America with the invaders. The survivors found themselves under the thumb of a greedy and racist regime that was far worse than that of the Aztecs. Ten years after Cortes landed in Mexico, Pizarro arrived on the shore of the Inca Empire. He had far fewer soldiers than Cortes. His expedition numbered just 168 men. Yet, Pizarro benefited from all the knowledge and experience gained in previous invasions. The Inca, in contrast, knew nothing about the fate of the Aztecs. Pizarro plagiarized Cortes. He declared himself a peaceful emissary from the King of Spain, invited the Inca ruler Atahualpa to a diplomatic interview, and then kidnapped him. Pizarro proceeded to conquer the paralyzed empire with the help of local allies. If the subject peoples of the Inca Empire had known the fate of the inhabitants of Mexico, they would not have thrown in their lot with the invaders. But they did not know. The native peoples of America were not the only ones to pay a heavy price for their parochial outlook. The great empires of Asia, the Ottoman, the Safavid, the Mughal, and the Chinese very quickly heard that the Europeans had discovered something big. Yet they displayed a little interest in these discoveries. They continued to believe that the world revolved around Asia and made no attempt to compete with the Europeans for control of America or of the new ocean lanes in the Atlantic and the Pacific. Even puny European kingdoms such as Scotland and Denmark sent a few explore and conquer expeditions to America, but not one expedition of either exploration or conquest was ever sent to America from the Islamic world, India, or China. The first non-European power that tried to send a military expedition to America was Japan. That happened in June 1942, when a Japanese expedition conquered Kiska and Atu, two small islands off the Alaskan coast, capturing in the process 10 U.S. soldiers and a dog. The Japanese never got any closer to the mainland. It is hard to argue that the Ottomans or Chinese were too far away, or that they lacked the technological, economic, or military wherewithal. The resources that sent Zheng He from China to East Africa in the, ninth, in the 1420s rather, should have been enough to reach America. The Chinese just weren't inter- interested. The first Chinese world map to show America was not issued until 
1602, and then by a European missionary. For 300 years, Europeans enjoyed undisputed mastery in America and Oceania, in the Atlantic and the Pacific. The only significant struggles in those regions were between different European powers. The wealth and resources accumulated by the Europeans eventually enabled them to invade Asia too, defeat its empires, and divide it among themselves. When the Ottomans, Persians, Indians, and Chinese woke up and began paying attention, it was too late. Only in the 20th century did non-European cultures adopt a truly global vision. This was one of the crucial factors that led to the collapse of European hegemony. Thus, in the Algerian War of Independence, 1954-62, Algerian guerrillas defeated a French army with an overwhelming numerical, technological, and economic advantage. The Algerians prevailed because they were supported by a global anti-colonial network and because they worked out how to harness the world's media to their cause, as well as public opinion in France itself, the defeat that little North Vietnam inflicted in the American Colossus was based on a similar strategy. These guerrilla forces showed that even the superpowers could be defeated if a local struggle became a global cause. It is interesting to contemplate what might have happened to the Montezuma had Montezuma been able to manipulate public opinion in Spain and gain assistance from one of Spain's rivals, Portugal, France, or the Ottoman Empire.